Morning, church. So, I'm just honored to be here um, in front of y'all today, and uh, just want to take this moment to say thank you from the bottom of my heart um, for my family. This church has just meant so much to me uh, over the years uh, in the work that we're doing here through God, and that y'all have displayed to me in y'all's relationships and the way that God's worked in y'all's lives has truly impacted me and my family. So I just want to say thank you so much for that. Um, so I grew up in Dallas, Texas. I uh, got to <laughs> Beaumont as fast as I could, but um, I, uh, I had a wonderful uh, family growing up. My mom and dad, they're here uh, today, and they're just unbelievable godly people. My dad's a deacon at First Baptist Dallas, and my mom was always um, instructing us through Christ is the and with discipline, um, but um, you know I, I was raised uh, at First Baptist Dallas. I I accepted Christ at a very young age of six years old. Back in the day, um, your Sunday school teachers would come to your house. So whenever I decided that I was going to accept Jesus Christ into my heart um, for dying on the cross for our sins, 
my Sunday school teacher showed up at the house, which was a little weird, and I was like, man, this is interesting. My parents had called them, and it was a great experience to have them there and get to um, accept Christ with them in my home. Um, the interesting thing at First Baptist Dallas was you didn't just automatically get baptized. You went through, I don't know how long it was, a six-week process or whatever that looked like, basically affirming and really understanding the decision that you had made. And so I went through that process. Um, I got baptized at First Baptist Dallas, and I grew up in a wonderful, loving uh, Christian home that my parents um, ha had created. And, and I have, they did an amazing job. What can I say? Um, <laughs> um, however, there's always the but. <laughs> Um, when I was in seventh or eighth grade, I began to have doubts about my Christianity and about what, um, what it meant to be a Christian. And, you know, really was creation real? Was all of this that I had been taught my whole life, was this really real? So I started doubting, you know, my relationship in Christ and God and really the whole shooting match. I mean, I really, I was so lost and it was all in my own mind and it was Satan, you know, just trying to break me down, right? Um, so as a parent now, I have a beautiful wife that supports uh, our wonderful family and uh, three children and one on the way. Um, as a parent now, though, I just have so much respect for my mom and dad during that period because um, <clears throat> remember I said instruction through Christ, right? So my mom was always kind of the heavy, right? So um, I was a little bit worried, concerned um, whenever I went to them and I told them I was having doubts and concerns and things like that. And as a parent, you know, I had no idea how she handled this with such grace and class, but she wrapped me up in her arms and I was thinking she was just going to hit me upside the head with the Bible and say, <laughs> learn this, you know. Um, but she didn't. She wrapped me up and she said, well, hey, if you have questions, we need to get you answers and I can't give you those answers. Um, so she and my dad, they walked me through various apologetics classes, defending your faith, um, things like that, that I had even no idea what that was at the time. But they, they knew through Christ and through their relationship with God, they were able to get me back on track uh, at, that young, at that young age. Uh, and I just so commend my mom and dad for doing that because that would be so hard as a parent to see your kid go in a different direction and then them being able only through God to be able to get me back on track. Um, so anyway, so I went to AM, and uh, had a great time there, too much fun. I got away from God. Um, I really, honestly, truly did. I was in the Corps of Cadets, and I was dating uh, a non-believer, and I went down some really dark paths. I quit going to church altogether. Uh, I had some really dark demons and bad influences at that time in my life, and I didn't, I kind of lost my compass and direction. Um, it wasn't until um, really just kind of getting that relationship out of my life that I was able to really focus back on Christ. And my dad and mom have always been there for me whenever I've had questions and things like that. Um, but it's only by the grace of God that I was able to um, come out of that and not be so derailed that I wouldn't have a purpose anymore. Um, and I met my beautiful wife, Whitney. Um, and, you know, she... She really, um, she's such a strong believer, and she really helped get me back where I needed to be as far as a Christian man goes. And if it wasn't for her and our relationship and her getting me back towards um, Christ, then I wouldn't be able to stand here today, and I wouldn't have the family that I have today. Um, and I just so, 
appreciate God working through uh, the relationships we have. So I've, I'm like Michael, I've rambled on too long. Um, I just want you all to know as a church body that I'm absolutely committed to doing everything I can um, to move the ball forward with this church and build more relationships with each and every one of y'all. Um, the relationships that I've gotten to experience in my life is the only way I can explain how Christ moves through relationships. And I know that doesn't really make sense, but I feel a deep connection with just developing those relationships and continuing to do work here at this church. And I just so appreciate the opportunity to be ordained and um, I'm here to work for y'all as a servant leader. So thank y'all so much. Good morning, church family. So it is my joy and privilege on behalf of the deacons at Westgate to recommend these two fine young men, uh, Zach Stiles and Mike Rios, to be ordained as deacons here at Westgate. We have, as deacons, they've been through a different process because of the pandemic. Both uh, Mike and Zach got to come up through the Yoke Fellow program where they came alongside for a couple years. The pandemic delayed that process a lot. They stuck stuck with it so we you guys are getting to see them you've seen them in action but you got to hear from them for the first time we've been with them for two years now and we can certify uh, pastor raymond that they are eligible for ordination today so raymond's going to give you a charge thank you david Before I give the charge, I need to clarify a couple of things. Uh, first of all, you are not all invited to our house for dinner tonight. <laughs> and I know most of you wouldn't come, but I knew Tracy would be planning on coming. So I want to make sure that she understood that. And then also, uh, we are trying to get volunteers to help out with this coming Saturday for the opening day. And I do hope that you, for opening day baseball, hopefully... You can volunteer, Lynn Brown, out at the Connection Desk. Uh, anybody can help you there. And then, so significant today, we have the privilege of honoring Jeff and Renee on their 27th anniversary at Westgate. That is a long, long time. We're we are so thankful for them. And I'm thankful for each of you walking this journey with them as a very difficult season of life. You want to say happy anniversary, but it doesn't necessarily feel that way. So thank you for all your prayers and concerns uh, for them. Well, as we come together today for ordination, maybe not what you plan to experience as you come to worship this morning, but I think for all of us, this is an opportunity for us to be recommitted, reaffirmed, in our belief and our faith in Jesus Christ. Ordination is an affirmation of someone's calling on their life. For Michael and uh, for Zach, you guys did a great job. And uh, it's important for you guys to remember today that someone took note of you. And they said, you know, I, I think possibly those guys could be deacons. And so they asked you if you'd be willing to serve. And you said yes. And then there was a process of prayer and reflection, and contemplation. Then through careful evaluation, training, and coaching with deacons, your calling became more affirmed 
and ultimately was affirmed by this church as they voted for you guys to become deacons. And today we affirm that calling and we take time to, to pause and to reiterate what that calling means in the context of this church called Westgate. We turn to a passage of scripture that's found in Acts chapter 6 verses 1 through 7 if you would like to look at that. We're going to read that and it reminds us that as deacons you are set apart and apart. When you look at those words on the screen do you ever have difficulty in a text getting it right? What is a part and what is a part? Anybody have struggles with that? Sometimes it becomes confusing but set apart is to be designated for a certain role. Helps us to understand when we look at the deacon body. The deacon body is set apart. They are designated for a certain role. A part is a portion of the whole. So the deacons are set apart, yet they are a part of this collective church body. And they've been given a very certain assignment. Let's read it together in Acts chapter 6, beginning in verse 1, in, in which we read about the first deacons in Scripture in the early church and why we have deacons. It says, beginning in verse 1 of Acts 6, that the believers rapidly multiplied. There were rumblings of discontent. So you had rapid growth and then you had discontentment. The Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers different people having different opinions, saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. So there's a problem. It appears to be discrimination or the perception of discrimination. Either one is real. So the 12 called a meeting of all the believers. And they said, we as apostles should spend our time teaching the word of God, not running a food program. And so, brothers, select seven men who are well-respected and are full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will give them this responsibility. Then we as the apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching the Word. Everyone liked the idea. Obviously not a Baptist church. Everyone liked the idea. <laughs> and they chose the following. Stephen, parenthesis he says, was a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and you see that in the following chapters, demonstrated as he becomes the first martyr. Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, Nicholas of Antioch, an earlier convert to the Jewish faith. These seven men were presented to the apostles who prayed for them as they, lay, as they laid their hands on them. Verse 7 gives us the result. So God's message continued to spread. The number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem, and many of the Jewish priests were converted as well. We see from those brief verses of Scripture in the book of Acts, Michael and Zach, all of us collectively together as we consider it, that the job description for a deacon hasn't changed in two millennia. I forgot to bring one of my visuals. Do you remember, those of you that are old enough, those little pink pads that secretaries, they were called secretaries back then, 
they would write messages to you about people who called and you would need to call them back. Anybody remember those pink pads? That means you're, you were born in the last millennium. Those of us who worked in an office situation, you know, that secretary, now they're called administrative assistants, they would, they would take phone calls and they would write down messages on this piece of paper. Sometimes they would tell you why they called and sometimes you had no idea why you were calling back. They would take the number and you would come back from an appointment or a meeting or some kind of situation and there would be a whole stack of these things on your desk and you'd begin to return all the calls. Well, today we, we have circumvented that, that whole process. No longer do secretaries, administrative assistants have to do that because people have your cell phone and they can call you directly. They can text you. They can email you. They can call you in the middle of the night. And they do. Job descriptions changed a little bit, right? Your job description has probably changed a little bit. But the job description of the deacon hasn't changed in 2,000 years. And it's a very simple job description. I like simple job descriptions. The ones that have about 50 different bullet points of everything you're supposed to do. They're just overwhelming and they're really not very productive. They're really two job description highlights for a deacon, and that is to be holy and to be helpful. Michael, Zach, that's it. Be holy and be helpful. It says that they were called to choose men that were well-respected and full of the Holy Spirit. Many of you are reading through the Bible this year, and that's the reading for today you'll find in Exodus chapter 18, verse 21, uniquely. Jethro, the father-in-law of Moses, comes and says, what in the world are you doing to these people? You're wearing them out. It's very ineffective. He says, what you need to do is choose capable men who fear God. Same thing. Holy and helpful men. I think that's probably where they got the idea in Acts chapter 6. Holy. They were to be well-respected and full of the Holy Spirit, it tells us, in verse 3, the solution to a distribution problem, a systems deficit, was holy men. Now, that's not really how we typically think, is it? It's like, this is a pretty obvious problem, a pretty obvious fix. You have this sector of the church that is getting overlooked and they're not getting fed adequately or equally with others. It's a distribution problem. Someone could easily fix that, but the, the apostle said we need holy men. The solution was holiness. Talented men can solve problems, but only holy men can resolve them in a way that cannot be replicated with talent alone. The statement about the seven men, this is important for the whole church to hear. The statement about these seven men reminds us that you can be holy. They didn't say these seven guys look like at some point in the future they might be holy men. It said they were. Sometimes as a church, reading through a book, called The Whole in Our Holiness. And in that book, it reminds us that it's not just a goal, and we always say, well, I'll never be holy, I'll never measure up. But we as believers are holy 
in our position with Christ, yes. But as we allow him to sanctify us, grow us, mature us in our faith to be more like Christ, we look more and more holy along the way. So don't just write it off and say, I'll never measure up. God has called us to be holy, and we'll be talking about that in the weeks to come. And holiness results from being filled and controlled by the Holy Spirit. We're told of that in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. How are you guys going to be holy? We are saying that you are holy positionally through Christ, and you are demonstrating that in, the, in your walk with the Lord. But you grow in your holiness by allowing the Spirit of God to fill you and control you on a daily basis, is what Paul was talking about. And that leads to wisdom and respect. What does Westgate need most from you guys? Well, if we were to take a poll here, people would say, well, I think we probably need this or that, or what about this? Guys, I want to tell you right now, what we need most from you is holiness. We need for you to walk as closely to God as possible. And in doing that, you will provide servant leadership that is shaped by the filling and controlling of the Spirit. Servant leadership, two words. It's been overused in, in business parlance, but it's a good reminder that, first of all, you are a servant. To serve out of the overflow of your relationship with Christ because it's the only way that we can serve. And to offer leadership. So many decisions and questions and counsel and direction go through the deacons to be synthesized, to, to determine what is the direction of the church. What do we need to be doing? In some churches, it almost functions like elders. But you're not just in leadership, you're in servantship. And they go together to be holy. The second is to be helpful. It says in verse 3, we will give them this responsibility. There was a problem in the church, and there are problems today. The problem then was food distribution, and in some ways we face something that's not that different today. In churches, people do get overlooked. They end up being spiritually malnourished. And so deacons are given the job of resolving the problem. Problems must be solved. We don't want to be a church in which we have problems and they just continue. And the same problem that you had 20 years ago is the same problem you have today. It requires action. It requires actions that are helpful. And not every action is helpful in the church. As deacons, we, we encourage people to... Talk to deacons about problems. And guys, I want to tell you, most of the problems you can solve right there. One, by not taking a message of gossip further up the chain, is to address the problem. Sometimes the problem is, you need to pray about that. Your heart's not in the right place. Sometimes people will come to me and say, I don't know why so many people come to me to tell me about the problem. I'll tell you why. Because they know that you will listen and you will gossip with them. It's a serious situation. When a problem arises, it needs to be addressed. You must exercise discernment in determining what is the best resolution to this particular situation and lead those people that you are assigned to for your care. How do you do that? 
We have multiple systems around here. Every successful business operates on systems. This room right now is operating on the systems. We have a climate control system. We have a sound system. We have a lighting system. We need systems for things to succeed. And we have a system for the care, the administration, and the provision for people within the church. We need a system for your own spiritual well-being. A system of reading scripture. Being spoken to your church. Being an example.
Would you all be seated for just a moment? And Zach and Mike, if you'd come down here, we'd like to temporarily present you. These are, it's not temporary, the calling's not temporary, but we got to get our signatures on it, so these are your certificates of ordination. And we'll we'll be taking them back at the end of the service. <laughs> We're proud of you guys, and I hope that you will take a moment to stand with your families out in the atrium. You guys can just go ahead and make your way in that direction, uh, so that people can affirm you in your calling. Uh, Jan, it's great to have your mom here for the the. The wedding shower, which is rapidly approaching. You excited about that? You like Joe? <laughs> she didn't respond. Um, I want to share just very briefly this letter, just parts of it. But uh, Vivian just handed me this. It came in today as part of the prison ministry. And it is just a word of thank you. Thank you so much for all of your help and support. Everything from the birthday cards to letters of encouragement, they mean so much to us here in prison. It hurts me as an individual to know that I receive mail and others don't. Uh, the monthly challenge always speaks into my life. I know how much other people feel forgotten. Your work here is not forgotten at Westgate. It's not a waste of time, and I pray that the prisoners that get out will share with you their testimony of what you have meant to them. The Lord is doing mighty things behind these walls, just like he is in your midst. goes on to confer, affirm uh, Barry Murkison and Anita and their family in ministering to them and closes out with Matthew chapter 25, 34 through 40 of just in as much as you've done it for the least of these, you've done it for me. This letter will be out there on the table with Vivian in which you can read it its entirety, but I hope that will be an encouragement to each one of you. In this ministry, there is another inmate that has been, um, we have the opportunity to write to and you can get information there and be a part of uh, this great ministry, but Vivian can help you with that out there. I think we have gone over time just a little bit. Again, thank you to Jeff and Renee for 27 years of being with us. That is an <laughs> unprecedented amount of time. And we are grateful for them. And I think just where we are emotionally, that it, um, maybe today is not the best day to come down and give them a hug. Might be. But maybe you just need to send them a letter to remind them that you're praying for them. As time moves away from the loss of little Lottie, they want to be reminded that you still remember her and that you're praying for them. Grief is a process, as we've said so many times. Grief is a process that spans a course of 18 to 24 months of just feeling like once again you'll be normal. And so I think this is the time for us as a church to express our gratitude for them being here by ministering to them. Jeff and Renee have ministered to us so many times through these 27 years. Would you covenant with me to minister well to them during this time? Love y'all. Thanks for listening. You're dismissed. And deacons, if you, and any ordained men, I need you to come down here to the front. David, if you'll grab the certificates, if you'll sign the two ordination papers. Thank you. God bless.